Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, who is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he is calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. May God bless the reading of his word. So we're given this story about blind Bartimaeus uh, who encounters Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. And I want to start by saying that in the scriptures, healing is never really about the healing. In fact, the, the healing that Jesus does is often it, it's almost superfluous to what Jesus is trying to accomplish. Uh, any Messiah in the first century Palestine, any Messiah worth their salt is going to have a few healings under their belt. So that's kind of, for, for Jesus, that's kind of just the foot in the door uh, to, to accredit some healing to Jesus. But what Mark does for us is he takes this healing story and he begins to reveal things that uh, Mark wants us to know about who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. And so the healing story really becomes the vehicle for this message that Mark uh, has, has for us this morning. And this is an interesting uh, account here because it, uh, it bears some resemblance to some other healing stories in Mark, and yet there's some stark differences. And I think it's in the differences that we really need to pay attention to. This healing story, in fact, bookends uh, another healing story that happens in Mark 8, 22 through 26, and happens in Bethsaida. And it, uh, so this section in Mark begins with the healing of a blind person in Bethsaida, and it ends with this healing of Bartimaeus here in chapter 10. And uh, in fact, this is, the, uh, this is the last miraculous thing Jesus does uh, before his passion, other than the wilting of the fig tree, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. But uh, other than that, this is the last healing he does, the last miraculous thing he does. And in between these two uh, blind uh, man healing stories, uh, Jesus begins to tell the disciples with increasing urgency that he is going to Jerusalem where he will be arrested, humiliated, hung on a cross, but on the third day he will rise again. And of course, the disciples don't get that. They don't see what Jesus is trying to tell them. They don't see what Jesus is revealing to them about the kind of Messiah he is. They don't see what he is doing. They still think, as, as we discovered when James and John were still talking about 
who's going to be the greatest in, in the glory to come, as they still argue about those things, it's clear that as Jesus tells them with urgency, no, what you think is going to happen is not going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem to experience death, and that death, through that death, I will be born into new life. And that's the message that he has for his disciples. But they don't get it. They don't see in Mark's gospel. The only ones who see Jesus for who he is are the outsiders, are those who are left out, Gentiles, and demons on many occasions. And, of course, blind Bartimaeus here. And there's some very uh, stark differences between this healing story and the one that's in chapter 8. In the earliest story, earlier story, maybe you remember this one, Jesus spits on the ground and he makes some mud and he wipes it all over this blind guy's eyes, which is kind of gross, I think. And, uh, he bl- and, and, uh, and actually it takes Jesus two tries to heal the guy. He, he does it and he wipes away the mud and he says, can you see? And the guy says, well... Kinda. I mean, I see everyone's kind of fuzzy, but I guess I see better than I did. And he goes, all right, wait a minute, let me try it again. So he does, a, does the whole thing again and puts it all over his eyes. And he can see clearly now, which is a song, I think. Uh, that's a rather stark difference to this story, right? In the story today, Jesus doesn't even touch the guy. He merely speaks a word and he is healed, Right? Uh, earlier, the crowds brought the blind man to Jesus, who, by the way, doesn't have a name. In this story, Bartimaeus has a name. In the earlier story, he doesn't have a name. But uh, in the earlier story, the, the crowd brings this guy to Jesus. In this story, the, the crowd's trying to keep him away. Hey, shut up. Don't bother Jesus. He's busy. And so not until Jesus says, wait a minute, bring Bartimaeus to me. I want to hear what's going on. Then they, they let him come. Earlier, the effect of healing seemed to be completely dependent upon Jesus' power. Uh, he does this whole mud thing, and it's, it's Jesus' touch that heals the man. In this story, Jesus accredits his healing to what? To his faith. Go, your faith has made you well. And so there's the effect was on, what came from this Bartimaeus' faith. And another unique element in this story is that Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus and calls him the son of David. Now that may not sound unusual to you because probably in, we've, we've read Matthew a lot. And Matthew in the very first verse begins by calling Jesus the son of David and throughout his entire gospel continues to call Jesus the son of David. This is the first time... Here in chapter 10, it takes 10 chapters for Mark to attribute that title onto Jesus. And it's blind Bartimaeus who says, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is the first time it's a completely new element introduced into the narrative, into the gospel story here, that Jesus is the son of David. So Mark wants to tell us that at this point, that's significant. Another unique uh, element around this story is that Jesus, in every other healing story, he eschews, in any other story, he eschews any attribution of his messiahship, right? Here, he seems 
pretty comfortable with this designation as son of David. He doesn't, he doesn't question it. He doesn't rebuke uh, Bartimaeus. He doesn't, he doesn't tell people to be quiet about it, which he usually does, right? He usually says, well, don't go around telling people that stuff. Uh, he, he says he doesn't say anything about it. And so he seems a little more comfortable with the designation as son of David. And, and, when, he, and when he is called son of David, it really is a reference to Jesus' Messiahship, to the long-expected Savior who is going to return Israel to the greatness it once knew under King David. And so this whole expectation had grown up over the centuries that when a Savior comes, he would be, the, he would be like David and he would come out of the lineage of David and he would be uh, a leader who led us like David and he would establish a new kingdom like David. And when Mark says, on the, word, on the, on the mouth of Bartimaeus, when Mark says this is the son, that Jesus is the son of David, he's basically saying... That, this is our guy. All those expectations you had on the coming Messiah and the, the King David are met in Jesus Christ. He is that anointed one, that Messiah, that son of David. And so Mark informs us through this story that Jesus is indeed that guy. And his kingdom is one where those who are blind are made to see. However, let, let's turn away from who Jesus is and look to what Bartimaeus does. Because, you know, all of that stuff is interesting, but I don't, it's kind of academic. It doesn't especially, not especially where the rubber hits the road. But what does Bartimaeus do? Because in this story, one of the things Mark's, Mark is, is showing us is what true discipleship looks like. And it's not Peter who represents true discipleship. It's not John, it's not James, it's not Andrew, it's not all these other bumbling disciples. In the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are like the Keystone Cops. They don't know what's going on, they're stumbling over each other, they're, they get it wrong every time. When they get something right, it's by accident. And uh, it's not until they've experienced the resurrection when everything starts to make sense. As insiders, only through the lens of the resurrection do they finally become those who see. Right now, they're still among the blind. And yet, Bartimaeus here really represents what true discipleship looks like. So let's look at him as a model of true discipleship. First, he won't shut up. Right? Everyone tries to tell him... and. And you may think that I'm bringing that up as a self-serving kind of thing, that a good disciple is someone who won't shut up. But I'm not saying I'm taking it from the text, right? Uh, Here is a disciple. uh, The crowds wanted Bartimaeus to be quiet and stay away and and keep him away, but he wouldn't have, have any of it. He would not be deterred. He was determined to receive from Jesus what Jesus had for him. And when they they tried to stop him, he got even louder. And Jesus responded. He called to Bartimaeus, bring him to me. To which they said, oh great, take heart. Now all of a sudden they're changing their tune. Take heart, Uh, the master is calling you. Uh, A a better translation of this, uh, the, the Greek here is, 
is really to receive courage. Like, you know, wow, oh, look at you. You're, you know, you're, you can be strong now. Be strong and go before Jesus in that. Take heart. Have courage. He's calling you. Oh, it's your lucky day. That's kind of what they're saying. Hey, it's your lucky day. He's going he's gonna to hear what you have to say. As if it were kind of randomly, uh, as if Jesus were so unapproachable. <laughs> Um, but it was his lucky day, and he throws off his cloak, and he runs to Jesus. And here's another unique element to this story. After Jesus attributes his healing to his faith, he, f- he takes up and follows Jesus. Every other healing, Jesus tells, they say, let me come follow you. And Jesus says, no, you stay here. You tell everyone what God has done to you. Or, or even more often, he says, don't tell anybody what I did. Uh, you're going to get me in trouble. But uh, you just stay here and don't worry about it. But this is different. This fellow, Bartimaeus, he follows Jesus. He's kind of a latecomer, so he's basically following him to Jerusalem where all heck breaks loose, right? Follows him to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to die and to rise again. But Bartimaeus sees He's one who sees and understands who Jesus is and what Jesus must do, unlike the other disciples. So he throws off his cloak. He goes to Jesus. He receives Jesus' healing, what Jesus has for him. And he stands up and follows. It's the same scenario that, that Tommy preached about with the rich man, except in that story the rich man went away sad. And didn't, didn't follow Jesus. This is kind of a different telling of that same scenario. I want to draw my attention. I was drawn when I was reading this. I was drawn to the part where he threw off his cloak. It's kind of an interesting detail, I think. But it's more significant than just that he got up and, and threw his jacket to the side. Uh, a person's cloak, particularly a poor person, a person's cloak was probably their most treasured possession, their most expensive possession. It was it was probably a thick wool type uh, covering uh, made into a big square. Think of an army blanket or something like that. They always wore a linen undergarment, a, a, a tunic of some sort. But then over it, they would either throw this thing over one shoulder like a, like a shawl or, or it would be some kind of vest cloak with armholes in it or something like that. But it was more than just a covering. It was more than just clothing. Uh, the cloak served as a blanket when it was cold. It served as a raincoat when it was raining. It served as a bedroll when you had to sleep outside, which was often the case in, uh, for poor people, particularly this blind beggar who probably had no means. His cloak was his shelter. His cloak was his security. His cloak was probably his most prized possession that kept him warm when it was cold. And if you were so inclined, you could use your cloak as collateral to gain a loan. If you were going to pay it back by the end of the day, you would leave your cloak with someone and then you would repay that. It was a valuable thing and probably his most prized possession. Without his cloak, he probably felt... Well, a lot like homeless people must feel out on the streets when they don't have shelter, when they don't have the things they need, when they don't have food. 
for Bartimaeus, this cloak probably represented the, the thing he could hold on to that would keep him going. In the face of the potential for receiving sight, he throws his security to the side and runs to Jesus. And Jesus commends his faith. This faith that he has, not in his cloak anymore, but in Jesus, the anointed one of God, the the Messiah, the son of David, who is going to provide the security he really needed, who is going to provide the things needed for him. It begs the question, what do I need to throw off that I might truly see the fullness of what Jesus can be for me and for the world. Is it like, is it like Bartimaeus, material things? Do we, do we put our faith in material things? Uh, is it literally my cloak? In this case, a very nice wool jacket. Right? Amen? I'm wearing a nice jacket, don't you think? Man, you're missing the, missing the cues here. <laughs> is it throwing off our, literally our cloak? Is it the possessions that I think I must have in order to feel okay? Is it my things, my money that make me feel secure? Is it our money that makes us feel secure? Boy, we can't help that. That's part of the world, isn't it? As long as I got a job, as long as I have a paycheck coming in, as long as I have money coming in, I'm going to be okay. I can make it. But we all know that's, that's so not true. How many of us in the world are so far away? You know, two paychecks, one paycheck away from not having that security. Uh, how fragile our economy can be. How fragile our own personal financial situation can be. We've seen it over and over again. It can crumble at any moment. Uh, I'm reminded that these material things, they come, uh, they go as easily as they come. Throw off those possessions we are commanded by Christ and embrace a life in Christ where security is not found in what we have, but security is found in who we are and who God is in us through Christ in the midst of our life. Something deeper than just material possessions and money. Are the things I need to throw off my, my world view that measures success by how much better I am than someone else? Is my security found in being on the top of whatever percent of anything I'm doing? Is it affluence? Is it influence? Is it smarts? Is it seeking as James and John did to be on the right or the left seat of Christ? To have the most prominent place? To be on top? Throw off this view of the world and find your self-worth in how you help others succeed. The race is not to beat everyone else in the kingdom of God. The race is to get us all across the finish line. Amen? Things are different. Not beating them, but joining them so that our quest for greatness becomes a quest for communal greatness. And to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the servant of all. Is the cloak I need to throw off some shortcoming that is holding me back? Something that I cling to so that I don't really have to meet my own 
potential. You know, there's something about it. We love our sin, don't we? We love our sin. We love our shortcomings. We love our foibles. Uh, we bemoan them. We bemoan them. But there's something about us that just loves them, right? Our shortcomings, our, our, our things that... Because they become excuses for why we're not great. <laughs> well, I'm not great because I have this, this monkey on my back. I have this, this shortcoming. I'm just not good enough. What a cop-out. You're not good enough? Of course you're good enough. God made you so. Of course you're good enough. You are God's most beloved, wonderful children and created for greatness. Not greatness by the world's standards. Not Donald Trump great. God help us. <laughs> Not that kind of greatness. I'm talking about greatness in becoming your best self. Don't let your own sense of sinfulness and unworthiness hold you back from that. That becomes an excuse after a while. Uh, I'm, I'm torn between compassion and wanting maybe smack you upside the head. <laughs> right? I feel for you, but it's time to snap out of it and recognize that God loves you so much. You are not unworthy or incapable. Throw off! our sins. Throw off embracing those foibles that seem to hold us back and embrace a life of becoming that best version of you that you can be. Is it fear that I need to throw away? Throw off the fear that is holding you back and take courage from the one who is not conquered even by the cross. You have nothing to fear. Jesus had nothing to fear. More than any other phrase in the Bible, Jesus said, fear not. And so I say to you, throw off your fear and fear not. Is it guilt? Is it shame? Toss that aside and find redemption in knowing that you are more than just your worst moments or your worst decisions. Is it apathy? Look around and start to care. Ask for Jesus to open your eyes as he did Bartimaeus to, to the, the need for the kingdom of God that's all around us. Pray for a broken heart. You might experience new life. Jesus is calling us today. He's saying, let him come. Take heart. He's calling you. We are called to run to him. And we must unbind ourselves from the things that entangle us. And I guarantee you that there are things that you think you need. There are things that you are holding on to. There are things that you think are the most important things in your life. And Jesus is going to make you drop them. To experience the fullness of what life has in store for you, Jesus will make you drop them. More than that, throw them off. But the benefit light. The payoff is life. What you get out of it is unencumbered freedom to experience all that God has in store for you and maybe even more significantly for your part in the rest of the world in making a difference.
Tony Campalo, who's a great American Baptist preacher uh, and professor, he tells this story about a friend of his who was uh, a big-time corporate lawyer in some building downtown Boston, you know. Uh, and he, after a long time, finally he decided to take a day off. In fact, I think he was forced to in the story. He was forced to take a day off. And he spent it with his son. And they went to a park where they could see the whole city. And his son kept, you know, he's about 10 years old, kept asking his dad, what's that? What's that building? What's that? What's that? And the guy had no idea. The only building he knew was the one that had his office in it. It was all he knew of this wonderful city, Boston, this historic city. What's that church? I don't know. What's that building? I don't know. What's that park? I don't know. What's this tree? I don't know. What a useless dad that is, right? <laughs> you don't know anything. Do you mind me asking you these questions? Well, no. How else are you going to learn? Right? That's a joke. Never mind. <laughs> he didn't know. He didn't know. He didn't ever look up, look around and see what is happening around him. Do you know what he did? He went, the next day, he went in and quit his job. He quit his job and he went and found a job as a mail carrier in his neighborhood. He started carrying the mail. And this freaked everyone out. Like, everyone was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Is this some kind of midlife crisis? Why don't you just buy a Corvette like everybody else? It wasn't like, it wasn't like that. There was no talking to him. So finally someone came in to Tony Campolo and he said, will you please go talk to him and, and talk him out of this? He's being crazy. So Tony goes and talks to him and says, what, what is this all about? What are you doing? You, you were a great lawyer and, you know, you were rare. You were, you were a, you know, an ethical lawyer. You know, <laughs> you knew what was, you know, you were nice. You were a good person. And he says, oh, you know what? No, I can't do it anymore. I just, I, I feel God has called me to something else. And, and he, he, Tony goes, but a mail carrier? He's like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a mail carrier. Well, Tony, trying to make, you know, lemonade out of lemons, he says, well, at least, at least I, I hope you're the best mail carrier you can be. I hope you're really aspiring to be the best mail carrier. He goes, no, I'm terrible at it. I'm always late. I lose stuff all over the place and all these kinds of things. But I love it. This is what he said. He stuck because he stopped. And this is back in the day when people did, you know, when the mail was out in the front. I stop and I talk to people. And I, they share their lives with me and I tell them about the, my life. And, and we, we, we make relationships. I have so many friends on my route. And I get to hear about all, everything they're doing. And I've been, I pray for them. And they, I invite them to pray for me. He was the only mail carrier in Boston that on his birthday, 300 people threw this big party for him. Because he was such a great mail carrier. He was a lousy mail carrier, but such a great presence in the neighborhood. This guy knew what it meant to throw off your cloak and run to Jesus and experience the fullness of life that Jesus promised. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The fullness of life is not found in the things that we cling to, but it's found in who we run to. Amen? Throw off those things we're holding on to. We all have them, I promise you. And I also promise if you pray, so you, maybe I'm talking you out of it. If you pray, you ask, Jesus will tell you what those things are. 
And then with love and compassion, he'll help you throw them off. Maybe it's not as dramatic as quitting your job and becoming a mail carrier, but I promise it'll transform your life. Let's pray. Great and loving God, as we stumble through our lives so, so often, and we try to make it all work, and we, we do all the things we're supposed to do, and, and we look for security in the jobs we have, in the roles we play, in the possessions we hold on to. We look for security in being our wounded selves. We look for security in not achieving God-sized goals. We pray for the courage and the strength to throw off those things that hold us back that we might run free toward you, knowing that when we do, you open our eyes to a, a whole new world where we become our best selves. Give us courage and strength as we seek this. We ask all this in the precious and powerful name of Christ. Amen.